Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Class is in session, and this week we have something special for you to listen to. Recently, I had the opportunity to sit down and speak with Jeff Gardner, a prolific creator in the games industry with credits such as senior producer on Elder Scrolls Skyrim, producer on Fallout 3, lead producer on Fallout 4, and project lead for Fallout 76 over at Bethesda, before he left to make his own studio, Something Wicked Games. I got to ask him about his motivations that got him into making games, tabletop RPGs, and more, including his next title, the very first game from Something Wicked Games, Weird Song. Enjoy! Jeff, thank you first and foremost. Uh, Very nice to meet you, and thanks for chit-chatting with me today. Yeah, of course, you as well. Really, really um, honored to be here. Thanks. Excited to chat about RPGs. Uh, My favorite uh, subject. Uh, they're they're <laughs> wonderful, and I, I hear there's a few of them coming out this year. Um, oh, it's crazy, isn't it? It's just, like it's, just a it's almost too much. Uh, they need to spread these out. <laughs> it's like they just are dumping them all on us. So, but yeah. I guess, like, first and foremost, you have obviously tons of credits to your name you're well respected you've worked on some of like legendary titles but before all that i want to know like what's your nerd history like what got you to where you are today with something wicked to tabletop like take us on your tail i will take you on a journey here if i talk too much like i don't know yell yell otto's name out or something and we'll uh (laughs) i'll take a (laughs) dude 20 minutes um, so, I'll, yeah, I grew up in um, <clears throat> upstate New York outside of Rochester, um, and it was sort of in the sort closer to Rochester, but sort of in the middle of nowhere between Buffalo and Rochester. My town was like 3,000 people. I'm a child of the 70s. Um, I So my one, my lifelong best friend, still my best friend, um, Dave, uh, his older brother um, had, uh, we discovered his red basic D&D book. Um, and this was in about 1980, maybe 81. We were seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. And um, we discovered that and just had no idea what it was, started reading it, and we never gave it back. Like, from that <laughs> point forward, we were we put, we started playing D&D. It was definitely by eight or nine, mm-hmm. and that was it. It took my life. I was totally enamored from with it. Um, you know, we'd bounce around Dungeons. We got all the kids in the neighborhood to do it with us. You know, those dice, which you would, you would get the crayons and you would have to, you'd color them in with crayons, the numbers on the sides. And because back then, you know, we didn't even have boards. It was all in our mind, right? We were yeah. just doing this in our mind. There was no boards or figures or anything. And, you know, we, we were barely understood the rules, but it was just, it was just a wonder. It, it, it really was amazing. And it was one of those things, like, it's hard to look back on and describe to people. Gary Gygax invented something wholesale from almost nothing. I mean, there was inspirations from war game, old war gaming. Oh yeah. But man, that, that notion of you're creating a shared fantasy world that you're, it's basically like sitting around the campfire telling shared stories in a way. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. They call it the theater of the mind now, obviously. Yeah. Um, but back then it was, it was fascinating. And so, you know, um, what, like, so you, you go, you know, in, I'm starting to think, ahead here a little so we did that i did that all through high school i ended up dming quite a bit i had I, i'm still friends with almost everybody from a really long campaign i ran from like 14 to 17 years old we go get together every friday night and eat pizza and so these are some nostalgic memories of mine like just those memories of just being you know those oh yeah those days where you're just like you had no other care i literally um I literally did it to the detriment of school. Like my parents were like <laughs> thinking about stopping me from doing it. It's all I focused on. I didn't want to do sports. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was one, was definitely like the stranger things kids. Like we were, that was like, I told my kids that was hundred percent me. It was not the cool kid. We did all this D&D stuff. And then the satanic panic started. Yeah. Um, that's I, 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 as growing up in late, like born in late eighties and everything, I've, I've heard so much about that. And 
It was a real I can't thing. Im- I can't imagine. Yeah. It's funny. I look back. I, I didn't even, you know, there's been actually more and more people talking about this. It was a real thing. Like there was a book written and it started people up, spun people up and it was all bullshit. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I got No. Yeah. Back. Go ahead. Um, okay. It, okay. It was all bullshit. And we was, I was raised Catholic. So it was like a really big deal. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, like, oh my. And I, I was so afraid they were going to try to take away from Thankfully, My parents had a, some like, a wit of understanding that this was blown out of proportion because they never did. Mm-hmm. But I still have the, I still have a, new, a Catholic newspaper where it was on the front page about how how it leads you leads you straight to Satan. Like I, I should dig it up and tweet it out. It was amazing. I feel like um, nowadays, what doesn't lead you straight to oh, Satan? Uh, it's, it's you know, so it is such a different world. <laughs> no, back then, like people understand, like this was the dark ages, right? Like we didn't have the internet, <laughs> like. <laughs> The only information you knew was stuff you read in your textbook in high school, most of which were made up, God's sakes, <laughs> the stuff they've uncovered lately and the things that they were telling us mm-hmm. was crap. But anyway, so, you know, then I, in late high school, I, we got into video games. So this, this is where, advanced, so I got into Warhammer and the second edition fantasy. And okay. That started taking, yeah, that was great. Um, I, I play 40K myself in addition to tabletop role-playing games and big board games magic so i'm i'm right there so i was curious i cannot wait for that new edition of warhammer i i'm hoping it warhammer has to be more approachable like 40k was getting so overwhelming just with in terms of the releases of the modules and the like the books and it oh, i hope these, it fixes a lot of that yeah right for, there with you, you. Know, the listeners that don't know there's these these complicated rules called stratagems that, that killed the game for me mm-hmm. way too many um sort of scenario like contextual situational based things that could happen to the game and one of my friends my friend who i played D with whose brother had that ad and d book um he he said it best he's like warhammer 40k is a great game but it's the only game you play like yeah try to do anything else you won't have time um so anyways yeah i'm super looking forward to that so we i got into warhammer lately this is in the early days of warhammer 2 when it was like speaking of satanism they were like leaning into it right they realized oh yeah like the satan of the satanic panic didn't hurt the sales of dungeons and dragons folks it actually probably increased them quite a bit (laughs) um and they leaned into it and they had like i remember i got the 100th edition of white dwarf which is their magazine they had a little flexidisc inside with this heavy metal band called sabbat like anyway I loved it. And then, but as you know, time progresses, I, in, in, I, you know, in my late teens and through college, oh, I, I started playing games. I do, I do want to talk about this. I started playing yeah. video games. That's what I do. Um, my first PC game was the text based Zork. It was on a green screen monitor with a me- old mechanical, now they're coming back and stuff, but a mechanical mm-hmm. keyboard that clickety clacked real loud. And we played this text based game called the original Zork. And then, you know, Oregon Trail was in school and all these games and I was in that, I was enthralled. And then I finally got a PC when I was like 14. Throughout this time, I had had a Texas Instruments computer um, and, and I had an Atari 2600. That game, that thing was amazing to me. I have a stories about playing Asteroid where back in the days, folks, you couldn't pause games. <laughs> so you would go on to tear in something like Asteroids and your mom called you to dinner and the only thing you could do is turn it off and you lose all your score. And not only that, but I couldn't prove. So I went on this terror number. It's the first time I hit Zen playing a game. I, I I couldn't, I couldn't, I was unbeatable. I just got in that zone where you can't die. And, yeah. and it kept going and going and going. And finally I had to stop. And I, I, I was telling people at school how great I did. They didn't believe me, but because back then you didn't have a cell phone. You couldn't take pictures mm-hmm. without getting your parents' camera. Anyway, so, you know, and then I went to college and I was a creative learning arts major and I... I was sort of stepped away from games. Um, I got much more into partying and that kind of thing. And then I went to LA to be a writer. And in the midst of bartending Sunset Strip, believe it or not, I did that from 96 to 2001. I I decided I was going to go back to school and get a master's degree in information technology. And I said, well, I better turn on a computer because it has been years since I turned on a computer. I had a PlayStation. I remember having an old PlayStation. I had to put on its side to play discs. Otherwise, the <laughs> disc drive wouldn't work. Um, and I used to go to this used game store and randomly get discs just based on what looked cool, right? And one mm-hmm. of them was Kingsfield, which I had this really weird this experience with when I'm playing Elden Ring. I was like, this reminds me of a game from years ago. And then I Googled from software, and I was like, oh, my God. They yeah, Kings- they did Kingsfield. So long. Um, so i got from pc and then i and i discovered baldur's gate one and oh boy <laughs> so i had played the ultimas in high school and loved them and i had really missed the heydays of like the fallout ones fallout twos 
And there was a time I didn't really have a PC. And then I got this to play Baldur's Gate when I was like, I cannot believe I haven't had a computer. I, I went playing games every waking moment. Like I, I went back to school, got this master's degree and I, I graduated and I decided, you know, I'm going to take a couple weeks off and I quit my bartending job. So I bartended through the whole thing. And at Baldur's Gate 2 had just come out and I'm not kidding you. I put, I ordered two Domino's pizzas and four liters of Diet Coke in the morning. And I sat there for 16 hours a day, just eating pizza and drinking Diet Coke for like two weeks straight <laughs> to finish that game. It's a true story. Go so, for yeah, the eyes, I'm, boo. I'm really Go for the, the eyes. <laughs> it was absurd. Um, what was your character? Like, do you, did you, when, with your tabletop RPG games, or games playing through Ultima, playing through Baldur's Gate, obviously uh, Baldur's Gate, you can carry over your character, but like, what is, do you have like, a canonical character for you that you like I, to recreate. I like to bounce around. Like I got into to magic. They used to call it magic users, wizards for a while, but they're so hard in the beginning, even in these uh, P, uh, PC role playing games, because I like to the power progression where you just you mm-hmm. know you start. I can cast one magic missile a day, and then you at the end you know your time stopping. Um, so, but on most, I I I. I try to play bad characters and I usually restart games and just play good guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about them. Um, I think most writers, we can d- dig deep in any of these subjects, most writers still write these games, some exceptions, really around what the good player will do. And the, e- the evil player gets a lot of cred, but ultimately you know, when your option is to kill the person, just to shortcut content, that I hate that because I want to see the content, if that makes sense. Yeah. So a lot of them are like you can just kill this guy and get the the reward and skip the quest and I, i'm like well i'd rather play the quest and then get the reward um my one of my favorite experiences never one night so i started out as the bad guy a wizard and i changed over the course of the game to the good guy and i sort of wrote my own redemption story throughout the game it was one of my favorite oh games. cool it's sort of cool so i actually you know it's funny i will divert i and when i was a kid i loved playing a dwarf dwarf clerics um, but in role-playing games these days, I generally either will play a wizard or I will default just to a to sword and board fighter because I feel they're in front of the action. They're not they're not like a, a supporting character. Mm-hmm. I sort of support the story a lot. What they are, um, I I actually I switch genders a lot. I will play. I played all the Mass Effects as a female, so I don't like I like doing that too, just to see different writing, to hear different voices, get different experiences. For sure, that's the beauty of role-playing games, right? Is you can you can yeah stuff out and do things and play a character that doesn't represent you or play a character that does represent you because you're underrepresented in most games it's amazing i i i rpgs to me are the true promise of gaming and that will piss off a lot of gamers and a lot of people who make them but you get to go into rpg and really experience a core fantasy and in, in how the decisions you make affect the world around you the lord british early richard gary mm-hmm. early ultimas were amazing for that because not only were you playing a game that simulated a lot of top-down dnd like experiences but you had the seven virtues and you were judged on the progress of the game based on those virtues. Right. And that, that was eye opening to me as a kid, like, Oh, you can actually put moral, moral, moral stories in here and tell in, in, in make the player think about the decisions they're making and how they affect the world around them. And listen, when you're playing, like, I'm not saying anything like half-life and whatever, apex legends, anything, yeah. they're great for what they are. They're amazing, better in some, better in a lot of ways than role-playing games. Honestly, the mechanics and the fidelity of those games is, is amazing. But for me, games are always about the story. If I will finish a, uh, a bad game with a good story. <laughs> oh, 100%. And and let's be real. If RPGs weren't the best genre in video games, every other genre wouldn't be trying to put and cram RPG mechanics into their, into their game. That's all I'm going to say. Yep. You started seeing that in the early 2000s where they finally put skill trees in these games, and that was never there. There are, even today, yeah. most games are based on the basic D&D mechanics of hit points and the rest of them. I honestly like games that are breaking out of that world and trying different things. Um, but yeah, these, these, what, again, what was inspired by Dungeons & Dragons years ago, now has blossomed to this. I, I mean, it's a, I, I mm-hmm. couldn't even quantify how big that influence is on, I mean, not only just tabletop, you know, games, board games, video games, but also even into music and culture. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a total phenomenon that I, I think is still even not is is as respected as it should be. Oh, 100%. I'm biased. I'm very biased. But yes. <laughs> so you went to school, you got this the masters and everything. So like what was the jumping uh, like how did you go from being the bartender, being into the writing and, and everything to 
jumping in is like, okay, I I love making games. Like, what was that? What was that jump like for you? Or was this it more a natural progression for no, you? No, it was not a natural progression. Um, it this is gonna sound crazy, but I had I had never thought of myself making video games. I didn't even know it was possible. I know that sounds crazy, but I never even thought it was a possibility for me. Um, so I got this master's degree, uh, and I was bartending advance at um at uh that, that place Dublin's Irish Whiskey Pub on Sunset Strip. And, um, you know, that actually taught me a lot about people and you learn a lot bartending and I, but I needed to get out of it because it was, it was, it was quite a, they're quite difficult jobs, um, especially <laughs> long-term. So I went back to school. I, I, I was given advice. If you're not starting your career by the time you're 25, you're probably going to get stuck, whatever you're doing. And I took that advice to heart, went back to school, started working in, in vans, the sneaker company vans, the skateboard sneaker mm-hmm. company, the marketing department. Me and one other guy were the were launched their first commercial website selling shoes. And I'll never forget the VP of marketing is like, this is a waste of time and money. We'll never sell shoes online. Wish I could have recorded that one. Um, so from there, I I met a guy at, a, we were in LA. I was, was in LA at this point for five or six years. I met a guy at a party and I, just, I had heard he made video games. So I sort of cornered him. I feel bad for him, but he's honestly, he's part of my story today. Um, and just started talking about video games, about, about how, how I'm talking to you, Scott. Like, mm-hmm. so excited and passionate because it, it is, it's a huge part of my life. And, and he was like, you know, and I had the degree and I mentioned I had the degree and stuff. He's like, I think you should meet a friend of mine who makes games. And I was like, sure. So I went on this interview that I, I didn't even, I never thought I would get this job, right? I sort of, I showed, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty buttoned up and I, I do things on time and I'm pretty professional and. I showed up late and like missed him and I thought the thing was over and and then I went in and I just never thought I was going to get it so I was sort of like cavalier and mm-hmm. like and eventually I got offered the job and I took a pay cut and and took it right at the small studio called Seven Studios they were in Santa Monica and I was doing a remake of Defender there was 15 people on that project total this was in 2000 this is right in the beginning of 2002 um and I was a designer and I had no idea what I was doing, but you just, you just dive, you know, you get that anxiety, but you got to walk through it. And I walked through it and we shipped that game and I can talk about Midway because they're not around anymore. It was a Midway game and in their wisdom, Midway decided to release that game the same day as this little game called Grand Theft Auto Vice City. I'm not familiar with it. It, it sounds yeah, like I've never, never heard of it. Yeah, each title. It, it, it was interesting. Um, and they're, they called it the movie theater um theory or something based mm-hmm. on this based on if you go to see star wars and you go to the theater and all the tickets are sold you'll go see another movie because you drove all the way there and you wanted to see a movie it's not how it works with box retail product someone <laughs> will just go to another damn store right yeah <laughs> or especially for 50 bucks or whatever they were at the time like no one's gonna just go i'm gonna buy this game defender i never heard of anyway um that game came out this the sequel was canceled but the seven studios had spun up they're not no longer in existence they're ex-Westwood folks, the guys who did Command and Conquer. Um, they they spun up another game. They got Activision. They got a movie tie-in title, which was also very popular in the early 2000s. There was a ton of these superhero tie-ins and other movie tie-ins. Any movie that had any action yeah. while they were trying to gamify. Fantastic um, Four. I Fantastic I did a little uh, research before this. So. Yes. yes. So I did Fantastic Four. And funny enough, that game didn't review the best I'm still super proud of that game because I frankly really did. I was the fifth lead designer mm-hmm. standing. Like uh, there were so many other lead designers came and go. I, I got the title after I was like the last designer there. And the guy I worked with, Charles Staples, is the guy who is the design director now at Something Wicked Games. That's the studio I started a year ago. Um, so I met him there. Um, he it was his first game. It was my second game, and we sort of fumbled around and we shipped that game. And it was it sold so many copies they had to reprint it. So it's an Activision greatest hits. Apparently it's on a wall there somewhere with a handful of others that actually they had to do that with. Most of the time, video game companies ship way too many too much box product and can't sell through it. Um, and you know that game had RPG mechanics. It had mm-hmm. it had it had couch co-op. It had skill trees. It had the four um, heroes. It's sort of all based they're all based around elements, right? Uh, yeah. Alchemical elements. And we did a lot of play up in that. And I was I'm so really proud of the game. It's funny I watched a playthrough. I had no idea that a lot of people go through and play these games and, and record them on YouTube videos. So I watched a playthrough the other day and I saw a lot of people who played it when they were kids and loved it and that made me happy. Um, and then I saw Todd Howard. I met Todd Howard. There's a lot of there's a lot of synchronicities and weird coincidences in my story. Um, a guy who was 
was a designer on Defender, had come from Bethesda, and we were making Defender when Morrowind shipped. So my first Bethesda game was Morrowind that I played. And he was, he was um, he's still in the industry. His name's Michael Kirkbride. Um, he's working on Immortals of Avenum, I believe, that new game that's coming okay, out. Okay, yeah, that just got uh, revealed or like a trailer or something. A trailer, a gameplay week trailer, ago. Yes. It's like the first-person wizard game, right? Yes, it's a first-person magic game. It's... Um, it, it looks great. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to play it. Um, so he was. He was also a Telltale right. He went to Telltale. Did writing there. Michael Kirkman's an amazing writer. Um, we. He introduced me to Todd Howard at one e three, and this was the year that they ported Morrowind to the first Xbox. If anyone remembers. Yes, yeah. it's on my and shelf. I to- right yeah, now. I met Todd back um, backstage or whatever they called it, and, and chatted with him a little, and that was that. And then I shipped Fantastic Four, and my wife, my, I'm, I'm remarried, but my wife at the time was from near where Bethesda headquarters were, a place called Potomac, Maryland. So she wanted to move back. We had our, we just had a daughter, and I, I after I shipped Fantastic Four, I, I emailed him, got a job, um, interviewed with him. I saw, but prior to that, I had seen him one more time at E3, and I, when I saw him pitch Oblivion, it like I had, I knew I would do anything I could to work on that game. Like I, mm-hmm. when I saw Oblivion before it was released being pitched. That was again this fantasy of D being brought to life like in so many ways again hindsight's easy to see but when you haven't seen the game like that where there's actual physics like there's no physics in rpgs right like <laughs> there was none of these modern things in rpgs most of them are top down like Baldur's gate and they started to die off people didn't want to make them anymore um and so he was they were pitched they pitched oblivion i saw it i was like i'll do whatever i can to work in the game he accepted he, he he offered me a job I took a 35% pay cut and moved across the country. I was, went from director of design to producer and got to work on Oblivion. And I was at Bethesda for 16 years through Fallout 3, Skyrim, Fallout 4, and Fallout 76. Wow. So that's that long story. Little games, you know. Little games Little you might game. have heard of. Yeah. But, it, yeah, that's... It, it was amazing to watch. I was employee so cool. 50-something at Bethesda. Oh, wow. And, and, and my experience in the design, doing design for the prior four and a half years... I, they put me as the producer of the design department. So I produced and did actually hands-on design of especially Fallout 3 and Skyrim. When I got Fallout 4, I became lead producer and I couldn't. I was told I can no longer work in the editor. So um, <laughs> it was a sad day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, what a great, I, I really am blessed. I, I'm friends with so many people there um, still. And I cannot wait to play Starfield. Um, I am just as in the dark as everyone else on on um, anything about that game, but I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So, really quick, random question. But Please. during your time at Bethesda, did you work, or do you know of a guy named David Ward that works at Bethesda? I, I definitely do. He was there. I don't think he was there very long um, before he departed. If it's the David Ward, I'm. If it, I know. Yeah, I definitely do. Why? Uh, he was. I went to. We were collegehood college friends. Um, and we actually were both in the game design program and interned at a little little studio up in East Lansing, Michigan, Adventure Club Games for a summer. Um, oh, yeah, good friend of mine. So I was just curious because I know he had uh, he was at Bethesda for a bit. So just curious, just random. Yeah, I'm looking at his LinkedIn profile now. No, oh, is he still? Is he there now? I think he's still there. Yeah, he's there. He started in 2019. So interestingly enough, I don't. Is he? Oh, he's in Dallas. Okay. So, um, yeah, Dal- We. I was in Rockville. We, the, but that's now he has four studios: Montreal, Dallas, Austin, and Rockville. Um, so I'm sure I have met him, but I didn't know him very well, okay. especially because this was right before COVID was like took out 2021 and yeah 2022 or 2020 and 2021, and I left bethesda before like in the midst of it okay just curious um but what a crazy and happenstantial path to to where you are and that's i feel like some so many times that's just how it is it's like a random passerby you're talking to some guy and realizing you both love things and who you know it's it it's a it's a great a great story, a great tale worthy of an adventure. And thank the, you, thank you. Yeah, the the moral really is is like when in life I find that opportunity comes and it sometimes only comes once. Mm-hmm. You have to recognize it and be ready to take advantage of it. Um, and that is just it's just through you know it's being nice to people, right? Yeah. And 
being yourself, being nice to people, putting in, putting in the work you need to, to get the skills you need to, to succeed. But it really is about, I don't know. I just find that I, I you know, you just you treat people how you want to be treated and that 100%. spreads. Like people remember who you are and it will help you out because you help them out. Right? Yeah. And, you it, scratch really, my back, I scratch yours. We then yeah. we go out for drinks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, just you know they they remember that you were there with them in the hard mm -hmm. times, and, and and they'll pull you up along with them, or or you'll get opportunities because of it. Like I said, I met the guy at the party. The guy at the party I met who got me my first job is now my non-executive director, helping me set up something Wicked Games. Mm -hmm. So I've had that relationship now for twenty-two years, right? Yeah. So like I I been a 3d modeler and i'm an unreal artist and virtual reality specialist at uh, a company right now and it's it in everyone i know that i've talked to in games it, like just the creative industry in general it's so important and you make such good friendships with the people like you're down in the trenches with to That's get right. things done and it's it sucks when it's going on but like after you've passed it a year down the line, five years, 10 years down the line, you look back at those times and you look around you and you're surrounded by the same people that were in that trench with you hustling, getting through. And it, it builds such a camaraderie that I think is unique and very special about cre the creative uh, ecosystem of jobs um, that I think is really special. 100% agree. Um, so, you went to after Fallout seventy six, which you were a project lead on, and everything. Yep. It was twenty. What, what you said? You started something wicked. I officially kicked off something wicked in twenty twenty two. Okay. Um, and I left at the end in August of twenty twenty one. So it's been it's coming up on two years since I departed Bethesda. So what was what was the decision to be like? I wanna I wanna do my own thing. Like I wanna go off. Like, because you had said, I think in your IGN interview, it's like you had a lot of experience making games, even leading a, a big projects. But sure. starting a like doing a studio, founding and being the CEO of a studio is a vastly different beast, I would imagine. What what was the cause that made you want to be like, or what was the the dream that you had that made you want to to start something wicked? Uh... I would like that it's probably a momentary lapse of reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, like in COVID, you do a lot of, you, you, I had a lot of time to do a lot of self-reflection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I set up this fantasy in my head. I'll be, I'll be honest with everyone. Like I set up a fantasy in my head of what my retirement would look like. And surprising no one, based on the, the past half hour of this conversation, that was me playing a lot of games. <laughs> <laughs> Unfettered game playing. I wanted to go back to the Baldur's Gate 2 days where I got to order pizzas in the de in the morning and pass out at the computer, you know, after six hour sessions. And in COVID, I got to do that. I, you have so much time. I went back and replayed Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2, all the Divinity, the Divinity mm -hmm. series. Like, so many top-down RPGs from my past, from whatever, because at that point, you're like, there's so much time and you yeah. have these time to do these 100, 150 hour RPGs. Like, I, like I think I put over 300 hours in Baldur's Gate alone. And in, I found myself like, they're amazing. And, and again, like I'm, they're sources of inspiration, but at the same time, it's sort of depressing. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, wow, I don't want to spend the rest of my life just doing this. There has to be this and other things. And I found love creating, right? I, I paint mm -hmm. a lot of miniatures. So I still play Warhammer, Age of Sigmar and 40k. And I went back and I, I thought back when I was happiest at Bethesda and it was when I was producing design department, because I'd say 50% of my time or more is actually doing systems design. I did, I wrote some books, like I was in the mix, right? Making design decisions and yeah. helping that team as much as I was able to, that amazingly talented team um, of people whom I absolutely love. And, and I missed that, right? It had been, a, I was running the Fallout franchise for a literal decade. Like, it was a long time to be in post-apocalyptic land. And so I decided that was part of it. You know, the Microsoft acquisition was another part of it, right? I was like, okay, you know, this is going to, things are going to be different here now, which is better or worse. I, I'm not around to say, um, but, and, and I, and I had some, you know, but what it did, it, it afforded me a little bit of padding where I could take this risk financially, honestly, where I could, I could take a risk and not take a salary for a while, which I'd never had in my life. Um, 
and I did it, right? I it, When I first left, I didn't know what I was going to do. This was one option. Mm-hmm. I explored consulting. I was in late-level conversations to be employed by another major publisher, running studios. Um, there was a couple other things that I, I, I kicked the tires on. And this kept coming up, so I started designing a game, right? I started, like, what would I make? And I, and, and I started, you know, chatting with my wife, Jessica, and sort of and, and I meditate every day and sort of let those thoughts come to me and wash over me. And and I started writing stuff down. And then, you know, I, through talking to Mark, who is the, the gentleman, Mark Morris, who's the gentleman who got me um, my first job and I was helping me do this. Um, I, I made a pitch deck and I was like, well, what what is the worst that can happen? Let's let's go on the road. And the reception was amazing. Right. I got I got uh, funding very quickly. And then, you know, the next phase is building the studio, which is something I had never done. But it's but it is a creation in and of itself, which I mm-hmm. wasn't aware of until I started doing it. So I, I'm creating this studio. I'm, I'm able to really build not in, 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 listen, I have to, I am the high level vision holder for the game, but at this, but that is in, in some regards, secondary importance to getting the studio funded, keeping the lights on, getting all the, all the, the legal entities, banking, corporate withholdings, all this crazy stuff you have to do. That's secondary in a way. So I, that's why I, I have Charlie Staples that I trust and can help me. Akram Rashad, who I trust and can help me, was a technical director at Bethesda, is now my technical director at Something Wicked. And I'm able to work with them. And we we started staffing up. And the pe- so when we announced, so there's a trailer we put out at Gamescom. I had five full-time employees at this point. And it was a risk. I was like, man, this is way too early. This game is barely out of my brain, let alone on paper, let alone in an engine. But I wanted to get it out there because I wanted to attract other people in the industry who were looking for the same thing I was, which was to work on a like a, a middle-sized team where you have bigger impact on games from an early stage where you can have a real say in, the, in what's going to happen in the game. And man, I, we, we're up to 30. I think if you include the two folks I've signed that aren't, aren't starting for the next month or so, we're at 36 or 37 people now in less than nine months, which is incredible. And what's really incredible is that we've able to maintain and grow the culture as well mm-hmm. to get people onboarded properly, make them a part of something wicked, make this a, a cohesive team. And that takes effort and work and, you know, in a lot of talking, but it's so worth it because the, everyone on the team has been so amazing and their other, and not just their output and all the stuff that you'll get as a producer, but just like they, they want to be a part of the team. They come with new ideas and they, it's like, it's, it's, it's in them now too. There's this thing called serendipity where writers have, when you're writing something and you sort of hit block, you don't know what's going to go. And all of a sudden something in your exterior environment like answers that question. Mm-hmm. And that's this whole game is full of it with the people coming in and like, they're like, I saw this thing you got to watch. And I'm like, oh, that fits this in this place. And all oh, this is such an amazing, like we're, we're inspired by different art and movies and books. And it's just, there's music in, in it's just been amazing to see this team come together. And I, I just, yeah. I, I gush because I can't wait to show people more about this game. I really can't. Yeah, one thing I thought was interesting is on your website, you describe Something Wicked as an independent AAA game studio. Mm-hmm. And why, what was the decision to go that route? Because, like, a lot of people recognize when they hear AAA, they think, you know, like, like your Bethesda, like your Activision Blizzard, like like the yeah. big studios. And then when you hear independent, like indie, public, indie developers, you think, um, like, your smaller, in, like, um. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Like, like indie t- indie developers. Yeah, Cult of the Lamb and it, exactly. I'm playing it, War Tales right now by Shiro Games, which I absolutely love. If anyone hasn't played that and likes tactical, like yeah. medieval style games, four it, stars for me. So, like, seeing the two of them almost, I I could see it how like and it's, it's an oxymoron. It's right? an oxymoron. I it's didn't want to say that because I, I didn't want to come purpose. out wrong. But yes, no, you know, you're not. In, in the the point of it is, is we are making a big game, right? Like mm-hmm. this is a big budget title. It's not a monstrous budget title. We're trying to keep the staff to a reasonable level, um, below 120, probably around 100. We're gonna put a nice. Uh, uh, we're gonna have a a long time to make this game, um, and in but we want to maintain our independence because I just the more the more weird restrictions you put on creativity, the more afraid creativity gets. I'm talking creativity like it's an entity, but it sort of is, especially when it exists amongst many people on a project. And you want people to feel like, listen, I, I'm a big believer in 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 defining the experience, but within that experience, letting the people like jazz musician, right? Yeah. A good jazz band 
you know, you, you open and you close, but in the middle, they're just riffing. And that's what I, I'm hoping. Like we open strong, we have a very strong vision of the game in the middle. That's what you saw. That's what was best to me of Fall and Skyrim. It's like we let these, we gave these folks amazing tools and they did amazing things. And then in the end, you have, you clean it up and you, and you, and you give birth to your baby. Um, and that's what I want to foster here. People who really feel like they're a part of something that their ideas will be heard. If not, even if not, can't do everything, but they're a part of it. That's the point. Like it's a big game, but it's going to be made mm -hmm. with an indie spirit. Because to me, honestly, like I spend over time, I spend the majority of my time playing independent games these days. Like there, yeah. I, I, I will play temple AAA games and love the experience of them. But ultimately the, the real cutting edge creativity, writing experiences to me are, it's really found on this, you know, on the, the, the what's new on Steam. Yeah. <laughs> like it really is. Yeah, I hear you. Um, and speaking of the game, Weird Song is the game. Yeah. Um, it, that's how you prefer pronounce yeah. Weird Song, right? Yeah, yeah, Weird Song. We we debated. Okay. But yeah, we're going Weird Song. Yes. Um, it's, it, as described, a plan, its plan is a dark historical fantasy that takes place in, the fic in a fictionalized version of Portugal in the Middle Ages. Yes. How did you land on, like, Middle Ages is like, okay, that's kind of a medieval... I, it's not a trope, but it's a more common oh, environment it, 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 and time time frame. Certainly for RPGs in particular, yes. But like, what made what drew you to the Portugal setting specifically during the Middle Ages? Um, so when you're design, we're designing new IP. I, I I I try to look at things that for me worked and for me didn't work. Um, and so I definitely wanted. I again, I spent ten years in post-apocalyptic land and i was like okay well i'm not doing that like it's too close to games i worked on too long and i i worked on them for too long um and i do love you know fantasy games i'm not gonna mm -hmm. apologize for anything else i grew up on them but i understand that they are they are really i shouldn't say this because there's so many good ones and there's even new good ones coming out but they're sort of they're not overdone but they're they're done yeah and so i find that what happens is people like okay i'm gonna make this I think you have to make them, especially hard fantasy games, you have to make them token-esque because otherwise you're explaining way too much. Why is the sky purple? Why are elves this way? Whatever whatever, whatever twist you put on them. But I feel like you have to put a twist on it. Otherwise, you're making a game that's very generic. So there's this blend and balance between those two things. I don't want to mention specific games, but yeah. some games come out and they're fantasy and they, they spend so much time explaining lore to me and I'm like, I, I just, I, I don't care anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah. Please, can, I, can we get on to, to whatever looting I'm doing here? Um, I can actually, suspend my disbelief that the fire is purple for some just magic-y yes, reason. Yes, I, I don't need I don't to need know. A, yeah, I don't need a soliloquy explaining the reason that light bends in a different way in this world. Um, so anyway, so and then Portugal in particular. So I wanted to do swords, right? Honestly, I'm doing, it's going to be like a low fantasy. So there will be magic in this game. I don't think I've talked about that much, but there will be elements of magic, but it's going to be more from the perspective of at least in the beginning of the game before you get too far into it what did the people at the time believe was magic and how can we represent that in this game so that came from inspirations i talked a little about the witch but it also came from so i was very there's aspects of that historic history channel viking show i did not like and I'm, I'm not trying to poo poo it but there's things i definitely did and one of the things that i loved when i first started watching it is it showed why magic was real to the people in that world and it's because of belief, right? It's just mm -hmm. the power of belief made it real. They believed in these gods, hence they were real. In in in, it's hard for a modern mind to understand that, but it, the power of that fear or in that belief is is palpable. The people made life and death decisions based around that stuff, right? So anyway, so that's the, the gist of the, the this and why Portugal. Portugal is fascinating. So again, in COVID, the last trip I took before COVID was my wife and I went to Portugal. <laughs> so you're like, man, I love like, man, I wish I knew what I had that week I was there. I would have really sucked even more out of it. Like, and so important when we went, we always rent these little six shift cars. When we go to your, um, uh, we've been, we've been blessed to be able to go a few places in Europe and we rent these little stick shift cars and we drive to sort of random places we find on the internet and we don't really have plans or do guide tours or anything. And I had no idea what was there. It's so much of the Knights Templar were there. They were, there's, there's a book called, um, First Templar Nation by a man named Freddie Silva, 
who talks about and it's 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 definitely more in the mythological i would call it templar history mm -hmm. but it's very fascinating um there is historical records there that the templars definitely originated there so it sort of started to gel and he talks about this thing called the ritual rebirth in there so this idea came where like what if that ritual was real what if these things that all, all this sort of fictionalized templar stuff we hear about like they were really worshiping baphomet and all this weird stuff um, what if that was sort of real and in what kind of story can we tell within that world where it's still entertaining and fun it's grounded everyone knows what the templars are templars are not the are obviously one of the big factions of this game we have a three faction game there's other um different types of individuals you can play the other thing i do want to say is it it's very fictionalized portugal so you're going to be able to play any race gender gender identity you want we're not going you know, it, mm -hmm. it's going to be a multicultural cast of characters we're not going to get into, you know, only white dudes or Templars or whatever that is. We're going to have fun with it. Let people, again, play in a fantasy world based around the Middle Ages, Portugal. That's it. So I'm, I'm curious with, like, this all sounds great, but I with with it being such a un, untapped well of create, like, creative outlets or potential, because Portugal in this area really hasn't been touched on in games, especially in an RPG before... To what extent are you going, are you and the team going to try and incorporate like local myths or legends from Portugal kind of into your game to kind of expose the wider world to things that they probably haven't been exposed to? Like, how much is is that important for you and the team yes. as well to do? Yes, um, we are. We have done extensive research into both this time period and the various real world factions that existed there. We are actually in the process right now of hiring two consultants. Um, I took the founding members of the team and a couple, and a couple of our concept artists to Portugal as well with that man, Freddie Silva, to give us a mm. tour, guided tour of dolens and castles and caves and in Sintra. And in again, Port Portugal is one of the countries that, and when people think of going to Europe, they, you know, it's Paris or Rome or, London or some there's other places too. But you think of these other like Portugal isn't usually high on the list, but I highly recommend if anyone's looking to go to a trip to Europe to, to check out Portugal. It's safe, it's beautiful, it's very similar climate and climate to the west coast of the United States, California. Um, it's very inexpensive, which is it's shockingly inexpensive there still. Um, and you can, and everyone speaks English, so it's 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 sort of amazing to go visit there um we went to Sintra so Sintra is west of Lisbon and it's like somebody in the early 20th century took over a sacred site of the Templars and he could it was a, he was a wealthy um merchant and he built this like Masonic playground this thing called like the well of initiation which is a spiral staircase that goes down in the earth they dug caves you can get lost in the caves and there's all these like statues full of this 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 like occult symbolism everywhere you look it's it's a, you can spend all day there just going oh, to buildings wow. and looking at art and it's 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 literally it's amazing and so i took my team there and i'll give you an example so portugal history is not not so less well known because the first time i went there my wife and i were able to go to that well of initiation and take pictures by herself this time we went and it was a, it was like a disney line oh <laughs> like seriously 400 people of mine it might have been the time of year we went in <clears throat> furnace but yeah, it's growing in popularity. Instagram kills places, man. As soon as they, as soon as somebody pops on Instagram, shows it, then everyone wants to go. Um, but no, so there's so much of this, and then so I'll. And one of the other reasons is I'll give you a not back, back on my history. So we set Fallout seventy six in West Virginia, another game set in another place where no games have been set to my knowledge, right? Or if they do, it's usually in some derogatory way, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. Me and the, there's a lot of folks out there that are currently making games that are with Bethesda and have left. Now, they did a road trip and got really into the local, you know, cryptids and the in the flora and the fauna, and we incorporated a lot of that. And in in the folks of West Virginia just loved that game because finally somebody represented the cool the cool things that are in West Virginia. And um and so part of that is because we are enthralled with Portugal and we want to shine a great light on it. We're actually thinking of, and I've, I've talked about this a couple of times, but we are actually in active conversations and will most likely open up a, a, a studio there to help it as well. That's oh, the goal. how cool. Yeah. yeah. It's so I'm, I'm curious with, as you've mentioned, there is a lot of well-established, like a pedigree of the team that you are bringing on immense creativity accolades and credits on so many games but i'm i'm almost wondering if do you ever find 
that that the fact that you all or so many of you do have this pedigree associated with the name that you are known as the veteran like the project lead of fallout 76 and all these games under your belt Mm -hmm. do you think do you find it adds more pressure to what people are expecting with weird song or like do you ever wish you could just be making weird song but just as like a ragtag bunch of no names without uh unknowing unknown expectations from the masses i guess on your shoulders to potentially worry about i think that's a that's a great question um that's one of the reasons for the triple a i'll be honest like like in in a world my perfect i would have probably honestly done a small top-down arpg because i just love them right Mm -hmm. but i knew as soon as my name was associated with it that would be a disappointment to a lot of people (laughs) Um, not that those games are bad, and I'm definitely not saying that. It, they're just not they're just not mass market like a Fallout or a Skyrim were. Um, so the, it was a conscious decision. Plus, I love Fallout and Skyrim, right? Like, I, yeah. I like the ability for you to be a single player, like a not just represent a team of people like recreating a D and D party, but you are a character. You are the character. Um, and in in I think that that pressure will come as more and more people hear about the game and there's actual, you know, visible assets. I mean, we do our first gameplay trailer and all the rest of it. And I, I'll, I don't mind that so much. I, 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 I believe in this team that will live up to those expectations. You know, we won't be a juggernaut, like a massive house. Um, but at the same time, I think that buys us a little cover too. Like mm-hmm. people hopefully understand why we made the decisions we made based on the constraints we have not you know we don't have unlimited resources and unlimited time and I, we're going to make smart decisions and i will say about the team there, there's another risk here to hiring a veteran team like this is that a lot like there is there going to be conflicts of interest that are hard to overcome because people have had so much time working on mm-hmm. games they, they sort of have their way of doing it and that has been a conscious hiring process for us to make sure we're hiring people who understand like this is an opportunity to maybe do things a little differently and i have found to a person that everyone there is just excited to be a lot to be working on a game like this. Like everyone is really bought into it. And there's been, I mean, maybe it's because we're, we're remote work and there isn't as much interaction, which is good and bad. And the good side is, is maybe that hasn't allowed people to sort of express that sort of darker side of the mm-hmm. personality. But my experience has been these folks don't, don't have that. They just, they want to learn, they're open. One of the things, there's a book I read years ago called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by a guy named Shamu Suzuki. I'm sorry, I'm going to get a little philosophical on you. It's all good. And that book talks about the best, like the, the early, when, when someone comes in to learn Zen meditation, that first year or so is magical. And then they sort of hit a wall and it gets very hard. And it's because they're so open to new experiences that that's what makes that process amazing. And the more you can stay open to new experiences, the more ex- the more you'll learn and the happier you'll be. It's when you think you know things. <laughs> like that I think one gets in trouble. And so I try to practice that philosophy myself, learning from the people we're hiring, you know, just like, hey, this is the idea, what do you think? And having, have, being able to talk openly about things in, in when things, things always get scary, when things get scary, we're overscoped or this, this, what do we need to do to make you feel comfortable? And there's this thing about have, trying to keep a beginner's mind um, in all things, even, even after I've been doing this for tw- over 21 years, like the more... I can do it. I'm hoping that infecting the team with that sort of mm-hmm. thing. We're just keep an open mind. And we're also looking for mid, you know, mids and juniors too. I don't know if that's how you describe it anymore. Like, but um, you know, people are newer in the industry to give us different ideas and excitement. Like I've been around for a long time that, and that's actually can be a detriment too. Like show me something new, something cool, things that I'm not playing. My, my tastes aren't as culturally relevant anymore. And I'm being kind to myself there. They're not at all. Right. So come in and show me things and teach me so we can make a better game. Yeah, what what a great philosophy, and I'm and I'm curious, do you miss, kind of the, I guess, yeah, do you miss kind of the almost naivety, and kind of, ram ragtag like, throwing things together, trying to get them to work from like your defender and fantastic four days, or do you are you like happy where you're at? Like, do you miss those days of? where you were trying to finagle everything together to try and get it to work? Or are you like, I don't need, I, I'm happy where I'm at, I guess. No, I, part of doing this was because that recreates that experience, right? Mm-hmm. When you're a startup and, you know, we have 30 something now, but this, every month we're adding more, like we, we have five for the first several months, right? You, every, you get a chance. It's a, 
everything life presents you with a lot of opportunities some of them are very scary change in general is scary even if it's positive right yeah um and and if you can walk through that fear and realize this is a learning opportunity and in just do the thing once you've done it once it gets a lot easier once you've done it 10 times it gets really easy right you don't even you're like i can't ever imagine mm -hmm. i thought this was hard but it is hard the first time you do anything is hard first time you walk was hard um and so this experience has been that it's recreated that a lot for me like again like i'm learning new things i'm doing stuff I'm way outside my comfort zone and that has been and again like embracing that fear is where the excitement comes from, or the adrenaline comes from and there's highs and lows right there's days where i'm banging my head against things and in in, in wondering like, like you know crying to the heavens but ultimately you walk through these experiences and you learn from them and and it's been amazing like i said i can't say that enough yes because i do miss those early days i it, like when the teams were smaller you knew everybody's name you know you, mm -hmm. you really were it was an intimate relationship when you're creative with people you have to be vulnerable and vulnerability comes from intimacy um and and that's the beauty of the, what we have right now. And that's actually a fear of mine as we continue to grow and scale up, that we'll lose it. Um, so I'm very, I'm very, 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 I keep a close eye on the culture of the studio to try to make sure we're, we're, we're fostering this kind of um, environment. Well, that's good. It, and I think the, the idea and what the culture of game studios has been so much more in the forefront now and in the spotlight, um, that it's really great to hear you taking so much of an interest and in making it such a, a focal point to make sure that your studio, your team is so well mesh well together. And that is there, there is that kind of, kind of camaraderie and everything. It's, yes. it, no one, no one gets into games and go, man, I hope I work myself to the bone and, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and never see my kids or whatever, whatever downside is like, so th listen, Things in life, there's aspects of things that are hard and, there, and there's no sort of getting around that. So yeah. that's part of it. But you can do it in a, like you say, in, with a way where there's camaraderie and fun and, and, and you're watchful of people and you and like you tap people out that are, have done too much, even if they want to keep working. And there's a way to do this that is a net positive for everybody and they have a great experience and there's a way to do it the diff a different way. And mm -hmm. I really want to be able to foster an experience where we work hard, but the end results are were worth it and the experience was fun we don't can game i i hope like my games were supposed to be fun that's why i got in this industry like well, how fun would it be to be able to say i make video games and it is yeah. fun and people love it you you do it like you go to parties and people are you're the you're the bell of the ball everyone wants to talk to you right and and then there's a, there's a point where it gets where when it becomes not that and you got to assess is that where i am or or how i'm behaving right what am i doing yeah. to call this and so there's a little bit of both it's never just so black and white and i i decided for me you know like i i want to get back and, and create and i'm getting to do that a little bit on the game but a lot on the studio and it's it's been amazing and i've met so many new people you know just in this experience of doing this and then the folks we've hired and that's great too i love meeting people and hearing stories and learning from them it's just been amazing i can't i can't recommend it enough for people in this career to do someday if they get the opportunity that sounds sounds fantastic. And I guess my final question will be, so back in August, you had mentioned, this was also in your IGN review, is that mm -hmm. even you weren't 100% sure of what Weird Song was going to be or what, what it would turn into. How how are, how how is the the idea and concept of Weird Song taken shape since then? Is it more defined? I saw, I saw nasty. I never read comments, folks. I saw a comment to me. He's like, that guy has no idea what he's doing. He's just throwing things. I was something like, I was like, no, that's not what I was saying. What I'm saying is you want to leave enough open space in a game for people to come in and write their own story. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, they okay. want to put the yep. mark on things. So, no, I don't want to hyper-define every single system and skill and faction. Like, I don't, I have no desire to do that. I can do that. But then, then, then all you're doing is, then we're back to where we started. Well, mm -hmm. not, shouldn't say it that way but back to oh i'm a cog in the machine i come in i do my five things i check a box and i leave right and in and, and in remote work like it's you have to make sure that people are engaged because you don't get to see them ever other than in zoom meetings anyway we're it's definitely taken shape um we've written the main story through and again as everyone in games knows paper dock land is still sort of a fantasy <laughs> when the rubber, when the rubber <laughs> yeah. hits the road is that cliche goes things will change and they should yeah. you should always be willing to change things based on the new realities and the things you find um 
as long as you're not compromising the, the original vision too much. So no, like, so, you know, we have uh, you know, Eric Fenstermaker, who is one of the writers from Pillows of Eternity, and ben, who was an Obsidian vet. He came in and wrote the whole story. And we have another uh, Obsidian vet, Akil Hooper, who's come in and helped me with the systems design. And his ideas of the systems design are far greater than anything I could have come up with. This guy's a <laughs> wizard. And in, in, in just, I, 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 sometimes you get nervous naming names, so you're not naming other people's names. But um, everybody on the staff has come in and contributed in that way, shown me things like based, taking the seed of the idea and grown it. And now we're in a phase now where we're, we're building, right? We are building a, a prototype um, in a first, and eventually, hopefully by in the next few months, we'll have a first playable hands-on version of this game that prove out all the, all the concepts, both the stuff that we, our pedigree suggests will be there, conversations, open world, you know, combat. And then also the stuff that I'm not gonna talk about that we haven't done. Because um, we have a very unique twist on this game. It's not just another open world RPG. It's a, it's, 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 it's definitely got a very surprising twist. But again, like I don't want to talk about it too early. So expectations either go through the roof, or if we do have to pivot, that I don't yeah. have to unwind. <laughs> just um, kidding. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. You really, the feature I talked about a lot didn't make it in the final cut, or even in the first cut round of cuts. <laughs> um, but we, you know, and I cannot wait till we get, you know, we, we're solidified, we're growing the studio. You know, we are actively searching for a publishing deal right now. Those talks are going very well for us. And once that's there and we are building and we have scoped and scaled this out, I will share whatever I can with folks. I, you know, it's, I would love to drop this in the 11th hour and like a shadow drop thing, but we are a new studio. So there will be a, there will be a drip of information. And ultimately I want to bring in, you know, some folks in the community three quarters of the way through too, to get hands-on, play it, give us their feedback, because that's important. It's, it's a different way to make games than I think a lot of studios or older studios are used to, but it's fascinating to get outside perspective on what you're doing. It's very helpful. And um, and the upside is people get to come in and, and see the game early and hopefully become early fans. Yeah, well, uh, feel free if, I, I, if you ever need another list. person, I, I'll yes. happily. And I guess to perfectly bookend this, we started talking about t tar tabletop RPGs, so I figured let's end with tabletop RPGs. I, right. I I saw that you and your concept artist were working or putting trying to put together a word song themed tabletop RPG. How's no, that going? That never came to be, and I'm gonna noodle him on it. I you know we get it was such a when we were so early and we had a lot of time, but this thing spun up so fast. Yeah, we were basically going to take D&D 5e and, and make an RPG. Well, I had, this idea came from the um, folks who did the Pathfinder game. Why? Owl Cat Games, right? Owl Cat? Owl, yeah. Isn't that who? Um, no. The folks who did the Pathfinder and the, and the Kingmaker and the other one, okay. they did this. They played through that whole campaign um, as a team, and I thought that was such a great idea. <laughs> oh, that is cool. Yes. What what a better way to like sort of get to know the world, the lore, the things because you see, and, and then also these experiences as people are RPGing, living in that fantasy shared fantasy world. What ways are they solving these problems? How can we create that in the game? Like, and um, I, I definitely made a better product for it. I, they're making a forty k game. Did you know that? I do. Yes, oh, I'm, I'm very oh. intrigued. Oh, I'm very intrigued. Instant pre order. <laughs> um, so. Um, Anyways, that's where they came out. So, you know, in COVID, I so I got away from tabletop when they play a lot of board games, obviously an absurd amount of video games. Um, and we got I got I got two of the six people that I played the those old D and D D and D games with together. Um, I'm named Dave Beal and Mark Harder, and we played um, Roll Twenty. I DM'd a campaign yep. in Roll Twenty. And sadly, we spent most of the time just talking, so we didn't get too far. But um, but it was amazing to do that. It's balanced with you. That somebody, I'm stealing this idea from somebody, but and I am hoping a lot of people retire and they go to these golf places or boating places. I want to. I, I, if you ever see a D and D themed retirement home, I set it up. So come. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll be there. I, I want to be. 80 years old playing tabletop RPGs with my friends in the nursing home. That's my life goal. There you go. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I I will I will hopefully get my can I can I put my name on the list uh, right now to get into your yes. your retirement home, please. So much better than like playing. Uh, no offense to people who love golf, but for me, I Cribbage. would much rather doing that than playing golf. <laughs> oh yeah, 
Hands down. Hands down. But we are out of time, Jeff. I don't want to get my dear friend Otto on me uh, for keeping you too long. I appreciate no. so much you taking the time to uh, to meet and nerd out with me. It was great hearing all your stories and getting your look and Thank thoughts you so on things. For, yeah, listening to my uh, my long-winded stories. Uh, it, those are the best stories. I, yes, I love I them. I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. It's, it, it's awesome. And I hope to keep in touch, Scott. Thank you very much. That is going to do it for this week's episode of RPG University. I very much hope you enjoy my conversation with Jeff and are just as intrigued about Weird Song as I am. Be sure to give Jeff a follow over on Twitter at JG93 and also Something Wicked Games at Some Wicked Games. But of course, thank you to each and every one of you who's listened today. Be sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast service, as I would really appreciate it. If you have a favorite RPG you would like me to feature on a future episode, tweet at underscore RPG University with the hashtag RPGU with your suggestion. Or you can share your own personal favorite RPG moments or memories with me directly on Twitter at ProfessorRPG. As always, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. Class dismissed. <laughs>